every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. This is what it is. If you don't like it, screw you, but this is what it is. <laughs> Getting feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. Mm -hmm. And I find for me that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want. It's like the modern version of the, the two people inside of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Times are changing, we want different voices, we want different races, we want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing and I'm actually just super excited to be part of the world of voiceover today. And there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. We lie on the floor flopping around like a, like a fish for 45 minutes. We work in isolation booths. So if we, want, if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. Never think, uh, I hope he asks me to be, I hope he pitches me to whoever they really, like if you think that way, then they're mm -hmm. not really your friends or peers and you're just trying to use yeah. people. Yeah. She pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie. Right. Well, yeah, that know, makes sense. That makes sense. You gotta watch the bridge, though. <laughs> Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew the industry. Stop wiping expectations on any audition. It's never give up and be the most persistent person in the room. It's always those that are the last ones standing. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses, and I, that's true for me today. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Now, today we have an especially special episode because it features an interview with Nancy Cartwright. Yes, that Nancy Cartwright from The Simpsons. It's super exciting, and I can't believe I interviewed her earlier today. She is, of course, incredibly entertaining and funny and witty, and she has some incredible stories from behind the scenes on The Simpsons and other shows that she's been in and some of the people that she's worked with. So it's a really, really fantastic interview. So I'm going to stop jabbering on too much, and we'll get to that very quickly. Just a quick note to let you know that she's actually written an episode of The Simpsons, which is coming up on March 31st, 2019. Of course, it'll be available after that to rewatch. And that's very exciting. And she talks a little bit about that process. So we hear a bit about the writing process in addition to the voice talent side. So that's really, really exciting. Now, I don't bash you over the head with this, but uh, every now and again, it's good to remind you that we have a Patreon site. So if you would like to help the podcast, make sure that we keep putting these episodes out and uh, pay for all this studio time, you can do. And of course, we have little extra perks, one of which was the opportunity to ask Nancy a question. One of our Patreon members got that. Now, to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash voschool. OK, that's enough of that. We'll have a few quick ads and then we're going to get straight into the interview with Nancy. Here it is. As a voice actor in 2019, you're more than just an actor. You are a business. The first ever conference for the business of voiceover is coming to New York City, September 13th through 15th. Amazing speakers, panels, and classes, all in the greatest city in the world. Vocation NYC. Ticket sales start April 1st. Be one of the first 100 to register and get a special early bird conference rate. For more information, visit vocationconference.com. Vocation NYC. Take your VO business to the next level. The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. 
Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins, and these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Connect your studio to the world with IPDTL. IPDTL is a cost-effective alternative to ISDN without the need for hardware or line rental. Connect, mix, and record up to four locations at the same time, including phone patch, right from your computer. You don't need additional software as IPDTL runs in your browser, and you can even get your own ISDN number. Try a day pass for just $15, or subscribe monthly or yearly. So, for directed sessions, interviews, and of course, podcasts, choose IPDTL. Okay, it is a privilege to be joined by the legendary Nancy Cartwright. What? So, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hey, so glad to be here. I'm listening. Legendary. <laughs> yeah, I think there's going to be a few British accent slips every now and again. <laughs> Aluminium. Yes. Controver- controversy. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, it's I, it's an interesting thing about the English language, and we could still be speaking the same language, but I don't know what the hell you're saying, you know? Oh, welcome to my world. I live in America, so uh, the worst thing for me is ordering water at a restaurant. Everyone always like, sorry, what? What? Water? It's like, yeah, pronounce the T. <laughs> um, but first of all, I just want to say that you are very much speaking to your tribe here because everyone listening to this podcast is a voice actor or looking to get into voice acting. So, so um, great. Yeah. Hello, hello, my people. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> hello, all shouting all, my, all my people out there. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> okay, so... Let's find out. We'll find out first how you got started, and then we're going to eventually work up to the present day and talk about some exciting projects that you've got on the back. Sure, sure. Um, So doing the research, uh, I found out that you really have been doing this for an extremely long time, and you were sort of predestined to do this in a way because you were voicing and playing with your voice from an early age. So when and, and how did that start? Yeah, I realized when I was a kid, I was, I don't know, seven, ten years old, something like that, that I had this ability to make people laugh. And I think that was really the main impetus, Mm. is I loved making people laugh. And I would tell jokes and do little sketches and do sound effects. I could do like a dripping faucet. (laughs) That's not an insert. You did not insert any sound effects. That was me. Um, motorboats. <laughs> this is more of a visual. I don't think this would work on camera, but I can talk in my mouth like like I'm trapped in my oh, mouth. Yeah. Nancy, Nancy, get me out of here. <laughs> really... Did that work? Yeah, I guess no, it, it did. did. It sounded like you were trapped somewhere. <laughs> like, so, like you're trapped in a booth somewhere and not allowed out. <laughs> trapped in a booth in North Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hollywood. Um, so I love doing that. And I just continued to seek out opportunities that would fulfill that purpose. Right. And it led to doing children's theater and community theater. And as I was getting older, um, I don't, I, that's, that's what I did. I just started looking for opportunities. Like when I was 10, I was in a speech competition and I told this story and I, I, I swept it for the fourth grade and then ended up winning first, 
first place for the entire school. Yeah. And I was the youngest one there. So that was, it was a great acknowledgement because I found that I really loved it. So that's what I did. And I ended up doing some plays in theater, junior class play, senior class play. But really it was being on the speech team when I was in high school and there was the debaters and then there were the individual event speakers. But but basically all of us learned how to do public speaking, right. like sales, after dinner speaking, humorous interpretation, dramatic duo. And I just learned how to do voices by competition. Right. And that just, it was very, I just had a blast changing my voice and never even really thought about animation and how that worked and that I was essentially um, setting myself up um, like what you said, uh, I was destined, but I, I did not know that at the time. No. I just did what I loved. And it sounded like your teachers were quite encouraging of this. They they recognized yeah. that talent in you, which is not something that you hear about an awful lot. You know, it's true. Um, Mr. Cooldow was my teacher in high school, and he just adored me. And um, I was a bit of a um, a teacher's pet without <laughs> pissing, off, pissing off the other guys. Right. He just he, he cared a lot about many students, and I was one of them. And yeah. but the, I'll tell you what really made the difference were the were the judges for these competitions, because the judges started making comments like, "You've got an unusual voice. You know, you should do cartoons for a living." And I'm like, oh. "What? Yeah." Oh my gosh, what's, oh wow, that's so cool. So one thing led to another. I There was a radio station behind my house and I ended up getting a, a job there in the summer, kind of filled in for people that went on vacation. And even though I did a little accounting, I did a little um, traffic, trafficking which is kind of coordinating the commercials within the day right. as opposed to actually being out on the street and <laughs> directing vehicles to their <laughs> parking spot no trafficking is a term that's used in radio to that's uh you know that has to do with um guiding whoever paid for a a sponsor um for a spot i got to assign that spot that was kind of cool yeah. but when i was doing that i got to see the actual invoice of like, for example, um, Photomat. Photomat was a sponsor back then, and Photomat. I don't think I don't think there are Photomats anymore. But there there were these kiosks in shopping centers where you would drive up with your. Uh, your film that you wanted to get developed and you would put it in a bag and you'd fill it out and you'd turn it in. And then a week later you'd come back and get your pictures. Oh yeah. Yeah. So there was this photomat commercial, but the guy that did the, the commercial for it, Jonathan Bartholomew Tucker was his name. I recognized his voice because his dad, his his partner Alan Funt used to be the host on a show back in the sixties and seventies called You're on Candid Camera. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And I recognized his voice. I went, yeah. God, he's got a great voice. I thought I got to meet him someday. Anyway, I just started noting different sounds of people like Joni Gerber did commercials and uh, Jonathan Smith. Is that his name? Um, I just started recognizing voices. Yeah. So uh, eventually when a woman came in for, to Warner Brothers to promote music, my boss knew that I loved the idea of using my voice and I got to play this character on the air, oh, wow. but he knew that, yeah, I, we, I just created a little promotional character for yeah. the radio station and he really supported me. He was great. So I shook hands with this woman 
because she was from Warner Brothers. And I think to him and to me, Warner Brothers meant Mel Blanc. Right. Yeah. You know, it's Bugs Bunny and Tweety and, and all those Looney Tunes characters that I grew up with. And I thought, oh, my gosh. So I shook hands with her and told her my dream was to like to do cartoon voices. And she's like, well, I'm in music. I don't it's not really my area. But why don't you send me a tape, put something together and maybe I can get it to some people. Yeah. And so actually, that's what she did. I, I, I wow. put. Oh, I put together a pathetic, I'm telling you. And I think about, I mean, all the young people out there, these guys that are listening to this podcast right now, you guys know that like a demo should, you know, two minutes maximum because a professional listening to it is going to get who you are. I'm telling you, you're not going to believe this. But within 15 seconds, I can tell if this is somebody that's worth listening to. Right. Yeah. So when you're going to put a tape together, you got to grab us right at the beginning and differentiate with all your characters. There's a couple of tips there for you. Yeah. I didn't have any guidance. This was like in the late 70s and I had no clue what I was doing. And to my advantage... Because I didn't have any clue of what I was doing, I had no back off. Mm. I didn't have any considerations. And I just took these speeches, humorous interpretation, dramatic readings, and I put together a tape that just is, it was 14 minutes. I mean, it was (laughs) pathetically long, but Mm. I didn't care. I just sent it off and it was good enough that she thought, wow, I'll I'll turn it over to the right people. And that kind of opened the door and she sent me back a note and in that note were some studios and including Buena Vista and Walt Disney and Filmation and wow. there was a name Dawes Butler. Yeah. And I did not know that Dawes Butler was Huckleberry Hound, Yogi Bear, Quick Draw McGraw, Elroy <laughs> Jetson. He Incredible. was, you know, a peer of Mel Blanc. Yeah. And Interesting, though, or serendipitously, maybe, is that Mel Blanc's name was not included on this. And here she, and I'm just realizing this right now, she worked for Warner Brothers, and yet Mel Blanc's name wasn't on it. And I don't mean that as a negative reflection on Mel Blanc. It's just, it wasn't her area, and she put together what she could. Right. So one of that was somehow she had a line to Dawes Butler, and it was his home phone number. Oh, wow. And, yeah, so I just looked at that, and I thought, wow, I think I'll just call him. <laughs> and, so, you left a, and you left a voicemail message, right? And uh... I did. <laughs> I did indeed. And do you it's remember what you said? <laughs> well, I do, because he left this outgoing message. Now, Dawes Butler is from Ohio. He's a native Buckeye, just like myself. Yeah. So that's like, we have that, that in common. So that was kind of good. And he left this message and it was him, but he, he did it as a British Butler. He was like, hello, this is Percival Pickles. I'm speaking off mic so I don't pop my peas. Now I'm purposely trying to pop my peas. <laughs> this is Percival Pickles. I'm Mr. Butler's butler. Please leave me. He's busy right now and please leave your name. Uh, wait for the beep. Beep. And I, <laughs> this was date. This is Kettering, Ohio, man. We didn't have answering machines back there. I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> what is that? Okay. So then I hear the beep and without any thinking about it i just hello mr butler this is nancy Gottright calling from dayton ohio and i, <laughs> I was so on sequitur you know yeah 
But it worked. It worked, Jamie. It's like he he ended up calling me back and that established this long distance relationship. And he would send me scripts in the mail and I would record my voice on cassette because this was like dinosaur age. I'm telling you, this was so long ago. But I record my voice on cassette and and then sometimes I would... uh, as time was going by, we just we just established this relationship, and then I had gotten a scholarship to go to Ohio University, mm. not Ohio State, but Ohio University, eighteen oh four or something, the original University of Ohio. Anyway, I'm big fans of Ohio University, and they they really helped me tremendously because I got a full scholarship to be on their speech team, right? And it just paid for my education for at least a couple of years. Amazing. Until yeah, it was it was great. But in the summertime, here I am working at this radio station, and you know, corresponding with Dawes Butler, and I'd have some other friends on the speech team. Like sometimes they were scenes with me plus another actor, so I would have one of the guys you know meet me, and we would you know rehearse it and then lay it down on cassette, and I'd mail it back to Dawes, and he'd write me back, and he'd be like, "This was amazing, Nancy. I didn't know that you know this was really really good. I think you handled it. She was a little bit old." than you and I still believed it you know and just very positive I don't ever remember him saying just saying a bad thing about anybody those people are so rare they're so rare you know you just have to treasure their angels they're like angels on this planet and especially now in a time when it's so challenging but Dawes just I swear he just took me under his wing and I realized quickly that I needed to start making plans to move and I needed I I didn't think I was going to last for four years at at Ohio University and it's no negative comment on Ohio U it just felt like my dream was on the west coast yeah so secretly very stealthily, <laughs> I I applied for uh, at UCLA because it was closer to Beverly Hills where Dawes lived. I mean, USC yeah. was way the heck downtown. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get around. I think UCLA I could take a bus, and that's what I did. So, how old were you around this period? Like eighteen ish. Um, by the time I moved, I was twenty. Right. Okay. I moved when I was twenty. I was almost twenty one. Mm. But um, I moved. I, I did really didn't know a soul. I had relatives that lived uh, out here, but I didn't really know them, mm. and uh, knew them about as much as I knew Dawes. And it was it was interesting, and it was it was really a smart thing to do because I lived in the dorm and got involved in theater and immersed myself as a student. And then on Sundays, I would walk into Westwood and catch the bus at uh, near UCLA and just ride the bus into Beverly Hills and hop off, walk a couple, couple of blocks to his house. Amazing. And I was supposed to be there for like an hour, but I was there like four hours. Yeah. And I was kind of like starving student, man. I had a, I think at that time, I was working. I I I told my mom. I told my dad that um, I wanted to. I always wanted to have a um, another job to be able to kind of contribute because I wanted to do fun things and I felt like I need. I wanted to work and earn some money, you know, to help out because I was out of state. Yeah. And they, my parents bend over backwards to help me get my dream. So I just oh, wanted great. to work, but um. I did horrible jobs. I was like, I worked in the cafeteria. I worked in some accounting office. Math, I'm so bad with math. <laughs> I did some really bad jobs. And one of the 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 best job I got, though, was 
Should I keep going? I mean, you can cut me off any time. No, no, no. I love it. We're actually sort of working our way down my questions as you're speaking. So this is perfect. (laughs) The less of me speaking, the better. That's fine. That's fine with me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to give you some, give me, give me some, give you some breathing room here to say something or, but. um, (laughs) No, go ahead, please. It's fine. (laughs) No, the best job, because this led to my future, was working at the, um, Oh, it was the library, the UR uh, University Research Library. It's still there, obviously. It's like their main library. Yeah. Might have a different name, though. But I worked in the um, in the theater library, film, film and theater, and they had a special uh, archives. They had an archive division. And I love this job. It was amazing because one of my jobs was I got to do clip art. And this is obviously way before computers and way before um, Google or anything like that. And we did it the old fashioned way. It's just like we had books. And when you did research, you actually went to the library and you took out books. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's that? What's a, what's a library? What's a book <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that is funny because look because look all the borders bookstores that closed right. and lots of did you know reduction of barnes and noble and stuff but i love books anyway we digress so back <laughs> to the library here i am working at the library and one of my jobs was going through um going through magazines and clipping out celebrities and and actors who weren't necessarily celebrities, but clipping out art and they would have like a clipping file for anybody that wanted to know about like more about Clint Eastwood or Rock Hudson or whoever, you know, uh, Francis Farmer. Um, So that was one of my jobs. I'll tell you what I did. This is this is so so Bart-like of me. I, I created my own file, my own clipping art file, Nancy yeah. Cart- Cartwright Nancy. Last name Cartwright, first name Nancy. Last name Simpson, first name Bart. And it was this was way before Bart Simpson. Yeah. This was like in 81 that I was doing this. I made my own clip. I put my name, my my eight by ten, my resume. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. So you added your information. Oh, I see. I thought you were researching, but no, you added. No, I put like clips from like like, performing at UCLA. I mean, there wasn't anything really of any, you know, significance in there. But I thought someday, you know, they're going to need this and I will just start it for them. Yeah. Yeah. So. (laughs) Do you think it's still there? (laughs) You know. I actually did go back to find out they don't have the clipping files anymore. Oh, I was so, yeah, I think it just, unfortunately, it just probably Might be in the basement somewhere. Yeah, maybe. So you went to, you went to LA to study. Um, and do you think that was a wise choice to be in that environment rather than just moving there to, you know, get an apartment and then to try and make it in the entertainment industry? Do you think the environment of being in a school gave you a little support would you say? Oh, yeah. For me, Jamie, absolutely. Yeah. For me, it was the right thing. Mm. For you, it for, for whoever's listening, it might not be the right thing. It's just yeah. like, this is, I'm telling you, like, this is what I did. And there's, there's certain things that when I look back on my life, certain choices that I made, that I realized these were kind of successful actions. Yeah. Is it, number one, I did what I loved. Because I, you just, as an artist, you have to do that. And it, I, I didn't, I never, money was never a part of the equation, ever. It was not yeah. like, I want to do what I love and I want to get paid a lot of money for it. It was never that. It just do, I just did what I loved. Yeah. So I sought opportunities to do that. The other thing was like, I, I, I realized that 
I did much better when I was surrounded by people who really supported my dreams. Right. Not people who, you know, there were a couple people that worked at the radio station that just, you know, I they were either jealous that I was getting out that I was leaving Dayton, but I was doing it with such fervor. And I don't think they could have that I was so certain about what I wanted to do. Mm. So I don't stay in touch with those people. They're not my friends. Yeah. You know, people that make you feel less than who you really are. I don't keep those people in my life today. I mean, that it is very that if I was to say one rule, that is probably the most important one is have people around you that really support you as an artist. And like there these are people people who don't judge what you're doing, but they point out the good things about what you're doing. Yeah. You know, they're really supportive. So you mentioned, obviously, Dawes Butler there. He's obviously a huge name in this industry, even today. What, yeah. What were the things that you took away from that that maybe still influ influence you today? Yeah. One of the things that he gave me was, well, he, he didn't, he didn't teach me how to do voices. I want to be, be clear about that. He, he did mm. that. That wasn't what he did for anyone. He didn't teach you about the mechanics of how to do a funny voice. That's something that for me, my discovery of that was simply, I did it um, in competitions. I learned how to do it by standing up in front of people and I'm not saying I created a voice right on the spot I didn't do that yeah. but like if I was going to tell a story that had seven voices in it somehow I had to work out how I'm going to differentiate between the king and the court jester yeah. and the royal mathematician and you know the royal accountant and like all these different characters that I would play I kind of did that on my own and realized that I could manipulate my voice and one thing that helped me is pictures either photographs or a drawing and of course mm. in animation you're going to get a drawing you when you when you get to the point when you actually are going out for an audition but even if you if you're not that far in your career and you're just starting you can look at photographs the thing that helps me is kind of like i see how old they are i just come to my own decision about how are they 10 or are they 12 because there's a difference you can look at the nose of a child and see the, their age how they age by the shape of their nose yeah. and the thing that especially helps me with a voice is the jaw what kind of jaw do they have and what kind of teeth do they have because even if they don't have like a buck tooth or split tooth or um you can if a character though has a split there you might want to you, you could sort of create and i i certainly don't have a lisp but if i was going to do a character <laughs> i could sort of come up with a sound yeah. that sounds sort of like this and i would create this sort of a sound because i saw that his teeth look that way and it can't <laughs> much clearer than this so my sister susie said that this is the stupidest thing that i've ever said in my entire s s survival <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> and just create yeah. with that. So you, you're saying that that when you create a character, or if you're you have an audition opportunity, if there isn't maybe some artwork or some backstory or something, maybe you could go online and just find something that's going to give you some inspiration and sort of make it 3D, make the character 3D, yeah. so you can. Yeah, create I'm, that. I am totally nodding my head. That that's exactly right. <laughs> you can other things. Yeah, it's true. You can get you you get yourself to be. Don't just count on your own imagination. Get inspired yeah. by what other people have. That that's that's the idea. They inspire your imagination so that you can then contribute. You know, well, we uh, on our sister podcast in the envelope, we interviewed Hank Azaria last year, and mm. uh, he was saying that 
a lot of his voices are bad impressions of people that he knows. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's funny. That's how Dawes did it. Dawes yeah. did it with um, relatives. Like his wife was from uh, uh, North Carolina, mm. and he would date her and sitting on the porch next when he would go court her and pick her up at her house. There was a guy sitting there in his rocking chair, just rocking back and forth with a pipe in his mouth. And he sort of say, hi, hi there, dogs. <laughs> and that's how he ended up creating Huckleberry Hound. Yeah. And mine aren't from relatives. I don't want to throw anybody under the carpet here. <laughs> not that, not that Dawes did that, but, but I just found my own way that, that actually yeah. worked for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's no right or wrong, by the way. I think you know that, Jane. There's no right or wrong yeah. here. There's nothing better, nothing worse. It's like you have to find your own way. And I think that idea of just doing what you love and per persisting, you know, in that direction will help to get you there faster. Do you, is your ear tuned? Are you out for dinner sometimes and you'll hear a neighboring table and you'll hear someone speaking and you're like, oh, hang on a minute. No, I'm going to take some notes there and I could use that person. <laughs> <laughs> Should people you be know, freaked out by sitting next to you at dinner? Is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's interesting because sometimes I'll get a waitress that might have an interesting quality to her voice. Yeah. And, um, we'll talk and I'll say, tell me what's your dream? I said, I can't help but notice you've got this amazing voice. And yeah. do, do you have any, you know, aspirations to, to you know, to, to do voices? And it's either yes or no. And it's, if it's no, I just, I'm sure everyone will talk. I said, well, it's delightful. You have, you have such a unique quality, you know, um, yeah. th there are people like that who, women like that that have naturally very childlike voices i mean yardley yardley smith obviously yeah. is yeah. The, the best example of that that she's made a very good living and she loves what she does but she does if you hear yardley you know she's got this podcast which was is just mm -hmm. it's just a stunning yard it's called um small town dicks and it's about real life crimes that take place and it's really interesting they get really into the nitty-gritty of it yeah and you hear her and she's just yardly <laughs> but when she does lisa she takes that sound that she has and it's tweaked just that much yeah. to make her come across as if she's eight years old so yeah. even though in life you go oh that's gotta be lisa simpson no she tweaks it just enough to give it an eight-year-old sound and also i love it on the show when mm -hmm. they make lisa they make her they just make her eight yeah you know she's such a smart eight she's so civically minded and human you know human rights activist and she's a vegan and a buddhist and she's like this mm. like who are you she's like the perfect girl you know that every parent wished that they would have and the it seems to me that, and and it's certainly in my experience too, that there is a, a significant difference between doing a funny voice and inhabiting a character. So perhaps you could talk about that a little bit, the difference yeah. between those two things. Yeah, it's true. Um, Yardley, you know, I could say, I do seven voices on The Simpsons, and um, that really is my calling card that there's a, I can do a variety of characters and that really is the name of the game because it's just a numbers game. Mm. Yardley wasn't, um, not to focus on Yardley, but if you have, if you have just a special voice, it's going to be a challenge for you to make a living really doing uh, voiceovers because you're limited. But there are special people like 
Lorenzo Music, who was the voice of Garfield, and he was oh. also the voice of Carlton the Doorman on Rhoda. You know, he had a unique sound that he took that and he made it made it something very special. Yeah. It's just going to be more of a challenge. But everybody's got obstacles they have to overcome. You know, really, it's like all my best voices in The Simpsons, and believe me, I have absolutely no regrets on this. <laughs> they got everything from me. Yeah. And yet, I have done other voices since being cast as Bart. I have to, it's, it's, it's a challenge. How do I not sound like Bart, Nelson, Ralph, Kearney, Todd, Database, yeah. Maggie, Chucky from, you know, Rugrats, uh, yeah. Todd Daring from The Replacements. It's like, these are, these are my best boys. And, yeah. um, I do some girls, but not so much. <laughs> well, if you're going to give your voices to any particular projects, it's probably those ones that you want to commit yeah, to, Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, I'm just, I think my point is that, like, um, it, it just, your, your your life evolves. And as, as you go through life, you find out what works and what doesn't work, and you have different obstacles you have to overcome and different challenges. It's never, people don't just hate well, actually, they do hand me every now and then. Something somebody hands me something. I go, yeah, I'll do it. I'd love to do that for you. And it's, it's, it's not about the paycheck. It's about the experience. Yeah. And now I'm producing, so that's that's cool that I can, you know, use the power that I have and the position that I'm in now for all the years that I've been doing it. That now I can help um, other people, you know, on their path towards making their dreams come true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we I do want to get to the sort of nuts and bolts of how recording The Simpsons works because obviously mm. we're super nerds about that kind of stuff. Um, but, before yeah. I, but before I get there, as I was reading your, your bio, um, it struck me that there's been a couple of points in your career where you've taken a bit of a leap, made a bit of a bold decision. And I'm thinking about the Cheers audition, which you can talk about. Mm. And your, your, uh, when you first went in to audition for The Simpsons and you actually original yeah. audition for Lisa, right? So how how is making a bold choice, how has that changed your path, would you say? I think it's crucial. I think yeah. it's really, really crucial because it has to do with trusting your instincts because mm. honestly, you cannot go wrong. You are right. Mm. You are, your instincts are correct. Like the Cheers audition, this was, gosh, this was in 84. Four, I think yeah. I was uh, by now I had already graduated from UCLA I had an agent I was now balancing on camera with voiceovers yeah. and I was doing things like Empty Nest uh, Mr. Belvedere and I, I went into audition for a Cheers episode and I go into the room and it's just filled with all producers and casting people and stuff and I it was a really it was one scene but it was it was a long scene yeah and i was brought in and at the end of the scene what happens is um i am the girlfriend to a guy who is a psychopath and he he's an alleged killer and he's in an acting class with shelly long who played diane mm. it was before kirstie alley was on it and um he was in this acting class and she's a little bit afraid to be around him. So she's kind of walking on eggshells and has um, invited him to come to the bar. So he comes to the bar and brings me, his fiance in with him. And he's lying. He's like a, a, a psychopathic liar. Yeah. And he introduces me. And so I go around and I'm kind of, Oh, hi. Oh, I know you. You're the, you know, it's like to, um, 
what's his name, Dr. Crane, who's yeah. Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. Oh, you're the one who, you know, oh, what did I say? Something about like to, I can't remember it right now. <laughs> he did something too, super silly and it, it just gets a big laugh. At the end of the thing, I'm leaving and he's, he, Rhea Perlman turns to me and says, I like that choker around your neck. And I feel my neck I, and I say, I'm not wearing a choker. She goes, you will be. <laughs> and it's in, in reference to him because he's probably going to end up killing me. <laughs> so and then I just exit the character exits the room. So when we did the when I did the audition, I walk in, we do the scene. And at the very end, the casting person says to me, oh, I like the choker. I'm not wearing a choker. Oh, you will be. Say, oh, OK. And I I literally left the room. Yeah. I just walked out of the room and I made sure that my purse was, I didn't take my purse in there. It was waiting for me outside. I'd made the decision. I walked out of the room and I just kept on walking <laughs> and I didn't turn back. And they were completely flummoxed because I just got in my little Volkswagen Beetle. I drove back to my apartment. I got, and by the time I got home, my phone was ringing. No cell yeah. phones. My phone's ringing. My age is like, oh my God, Nancy. You, so, so good news. You got the part. I'm like, oh. <laughs> That's great. Oh my God. She goes, but they said that you like laugh. They were trying to find you. I said, yeah, I know. I just left. She goes, why did you do that? I go, because the character walked out of the room. I had to, I mean, that was something that probably most people didn't do that. Yeah. And it was just so like ridiculous and had to keep that. And then for the Simpsons, <laughs> it was just one of those things where I, I didn't go in for Bart. I went in for Lisa yeah, And uh, I saw the audition for Bart right next to Lisa and her said, you know, eight years old middle child and his said 10 year old underachieving school hating and, and underachiever and loves it or something like that. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God, uh, between the two of them, I, I got I got to do Bart. I got to do Bart. Yeah. Didn't even I didn't have a sound. I didn't know what I was going to do. And. Uh, okay. So that was it. I thought about it for a second. I went, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I had one, one voice, which I never recommend always have at least three. When you go in, have three, two, three, four voices, because you don't know what it is that look they're looking for. And they may say to you, can you make them sound a little bit younger? Can you make them sound a little bit older? And you want to be able to just do it right away. Yeah. Or, you know, we want to rough him up a little bit. And this is this this is not what I got with Bart Simpson, but on other auditions, we want to make him he's a little tougher than that. Can you toughen him up? So it's like you've got to do your homework and make sure that you are prepared to do several voices. But I went in, it was Matt Groening. I shook his hand. I said, Hey, do you mind? I'd rather do the, the boy than the girl. Is that okay? I want to do the kid. Yeah, no problem. All right, cool. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God, that's him. Wow, you got the part. Hired on the spot. Amazing. So that, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, I mean, that, to me, that seems like quite a bold step, especially, you know, the cheer story. Definitely, it really made me laugh when I read it the first time. Um, <laughs> but you know what? But, Jamie, I never would have been cast. Had I done Lisa Simpson, my girl voices, even now, you can kind of hear, there's a little bit, it's very easy for me to kind of turn on a quokey, croaky quality yeah and they people associate that casting people there's like agreement in our industry that that is more like a boy or yeah. it could be a, a tomboy yeah. you know but regardless yardley was destined to be lisa simpson there's right. no way i would have been cast as lisa i, I wouldn't have gotten the job yeah. some other lucky person would have walked in and gotten the voice of bart simpson because they 
were bold enough to speak up and say, I can do this. So now you've been on both sides of the process. You've been, you know, I've, I know you've produced and you've directed and things like that. So what what would your reaction be if someone came to you in the casting process and, and did made that bold choice? Would you, res- presumably you would respect that? And, oh, and totally love, respect love it. doing something a bit wacky or different. Well, it tells me a couple things. First of all, they got courage. Because yeah. it does take courage to do something like that. But I didn't dwell on the courage and I didn't look at it that it was a scary thing. For me, it was it was what I had to do. Mm. And when you know something, ain't, there isn't anything that's going to sway you from from proceeding with that decision. I love that. Because it was a decision. I made the decision to do that. And I trusted, I trusted my knowingness on that, yeah. if you will. Yeah, I love that. And it, it served me right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <has. laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> it worked out in the end. I wouldn't um, be here today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't be on this podcast. So I wouldn't be. Yeah, it obviously paid true. off. <laughs> um, <laughs> so everyone listening to this is going to be desperate to hear about all the behind the scenes process for creating a Simpsons episode. So from a talent's perspective, when do you first get involved? Are you just sent a script and blah, blah, blah? Yeah. How does it work from your perspective? Well, yeah, from the from the voice actor viewpoint, I get my skip script delivered sometime Wednesday night, sometime after dinner, sometime between 8 p.m. and, uh, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the morning. And if it's if it's after my bedtime, I got to get up, you know, make, just make sure I have enough time to grab the script out of my mailbox and bring it in and read it and look up anything I don't understand because they do so many references that sometimes I am not mm. in the know of maybe who a person is or what an, a particular incident is. And I've, I've got to look it up. Yeah. Um, so I want to make sure that, and even words, there are sometimes words that I don't understand because these guys are like, they're brilliant, man. And they'll use yeah. words that I don't know. And I just want to make sure I understand everything. That's like common sense. So that's when I get my scripts. So I'll read it. And if I have any notes like, um, like Bart wouldn't say that, that seems more like something Lisa would say, Right. you know, I'll just make a note in the, in the margin. And then, um, then I go in and we do the table read, uh, that Thursday, uh, about 10 o'clock we go in at 10 o'clock. And, um, these days it's rare that the actors are all together because right. Hank and Harry don't even live in LA anymore. I mean, after, jeez, oh. 30 years, I think Harry moved out quite a while ago. But um, and sometimes I'm on the road. I, I I'll, I'll be off doing something out of the state or even out of the country. And mm. I remember getting up. I was in Australia, and I actually <laughs> got up, and it was four in the morning, and and I was actually doing a table read. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they were piping it in. They found out that that because it was a sat, it didn't work so good. Um, but they found that out. But um, so we don't do it if it's out of the country. But now if, right. if it's out of the state, it's not a problem. And I'll just do it at a different time. If I'm in Florida, it's one o'clock in the afternoon and 10 o'clock in the morning in, in L.A. But right. that's cool. So our voices are piped in. So essentially, we're all there, at least by voice. Right. Um, and what are they getting out of the table read specifically? They're just seeing how the characters in- interact and how the script flows out of the mouth of the voice yeah. actor. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And it, which means um, it's more for the writer than more for the writers than it is for the a- the actors. We don't have any rehearsal. Yeah. I consider this read through kind of because I will have read it to myself out loud or to myself. 
at home prior to going in. And then we do the table reading, which is out loud from the very beginning to the very end, no stops. Somebody is reading all the, the notes on the side and the descriptions of locations and times and stuff. So that's all taken care of. It's just a reading. So then, um, that's it for, for the actors. We go about our business Mm. and they just changed it with this season, it used to be that we would go in on Monday, you know, four days later, we would go in, no, three days later, sorry, Thursday, Friday, unless you include the rest of that day, three or four days later, we go in on Monday to record that episode. They just changed it because they want to give the writers a little bit more time to be able, because they just had Friday. And then on Mondays, we would get new pages that would be brought to us. And it was challenging because sometimes if certain writers were not there, or Jim Brooks is very involved with it. If he wasn't around that he couldn't contribute the way that he wanted to. So they just made this slight adjustment. But anyway, my point is that we don't we don't really rehearse as actors. I just wait. We go in and we just start to record the thing. You know, about 10 days later, we'll go in. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you've got a good good amount of turnaround time between the table yeah, read but, and the, yeah. Yeah. But between that table read and that record, there might be another table read, like oh, that following okay. Thursday. Right. You know, so, you know, and then we also will be doing pickups or pickups or um, for a show that's going to be on the air right. like that Sunday. Yeah. So it's, it's going in and it's, it's not a whole lot of time, but it's, um, it's not, uh, there's no, I don't know when I go in for the post-production for the ADR or the pickups. That's just kind of random. But, right. but as far as the table reads, we do 22 episodes a year and we get that schedule at the very beginning of the season. Right. And then when you go into the actual recording, presumably you're doing it together where possible or how does it work? Yeah. Yeah. We try to do it with us all together, but it's rare, Yeah, you know, because Hank and Harry are out of the or don't live there. And then we just pick them up. And uh, there's a guy, Chris Edgerly, who is so talented. Yeah. This guy, he just steps in and does what's called a temp a temp track, a temporary track. He does the temp voices for for Dan and for Hank and for Harry. And right. uh, when I'm gone, uh, usually Tress McNeil will do do me. And if she's not there, then Chris <laughs> Chris Edgerly will do me uh, <laughs> do do my voice. And then, like even if I have laryngitis, if one of us is sick, and it just doesn't make sense to go in and push it because yeah. I will have to redo it anyway. So I don't go in if I'm under the weather and they'll do a temp track and then I'll go in after I feel better. Well, that's great that you always have someone to play off, even if it isn't necessarily the person who's going to be voicing the final lines. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's it's fun because sometimes I what I like about it is I get to enjoy watching Dan kind of do, because Homer is just so crazy. <laughs> yeah. He's so psychotically funny that he yeah. just, his, his emotional... Um, scale is 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 enormous and dan it's just it's just a real treat to be there but at the same time because it's just our voice and we don't need to be filmed and it's not in front of a live audience that we do have such a privilege and it's the it's a privilege that i can go if i'm in florida or i'm in ohio or wherever i am that they that i can go to a local studio yeah 
and do a remote like I'm doing with you right now. Nobody yeah. would know that you're in New York and here I am here in, you know, in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of cool. And I could pick up and I can, I've been doing this for so long, I can imagine somebody, you know, doing Dan's voice and I can just picture Dan doing it that yeah. even that at this point in the game it's not hard to just to just do it I don't yeah. find that it's a disadvantage it's funner when other people are there sure but it's not it's not necessary after all these years are there ever points where you have gone from the table read to the studio or maybe gone from receiving a new script to the studio and the other cast members surprise you with their performances and you're like, oh, I, I never expected them to go that direction with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The table read sometimes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the, like, for example, we had uh, Anne Hathaway was a guest yeah. on, on our show and she came in for the table read. Now, again, I we this is not a re it's kind of like a rehearsal for us because we've never done it in front of the. An, a live audience because this is a live audience the room is about 60 or 70 people wow. in a conference room there's a huge conference table and there are all these chairs that are set around the perimeter and at the one end they are stacked there's about three or three rows of chairs so it's about maybe 70 people so for us it's really fun because when you have a live audience it's actually laughing to what it is that we're saying yeah. i mean that's great feedback you know yeah. but so ann hathaway was this guest and she plays this princess she plays uh crusty the clown's assistant and she was right. this princess cashmere i think her name was oh my gosh she was so good <laughs> she was so amazing and yeah. i was completely blown away and i just <laughs> fell in love with anne hathaway yeah she was just darling and she sings and there wasn't even this that she didn't even know the tune but she just <laughs> did this acapella and just made up a tune and sang and it just everyone it's giving me goosebumps talking about it yeah everyone burst into applause she just <laughs> was it was out standing performance yeah so <laughs> that that sounds incredible i mean you get these incredible guest stars. I think yeah. I saw somewhere you've had over 400. So obviously Anne Hathaway was a standout. Were there yeah. any other people that jump out to you as well? You work to preface this, it's been it's been a long time. When when I look at most of the guest stars uh, that came in early on would come in while we were actually doing the show uh, and recording it on a Monday. Mm. And as time has gone by and the show continued to get renewed, renewed, it was just harder and harder to get these guys to come in on our schedule. Right. So we they just come in on their schedule. And a lot of times, I, I, I've, you know, I, I had written a book I'm doing actually a, a new version of it called My Life as a Ten-Year-Old Boy, and uh, that version will be coming out. I'm not sure. I, I, I'd like it to be a Christmas release. Okay. Um, so that's what I'm looking at right now, and it will have chapters in there about working with Mickey Rooney and Meryl Streep, uh, oh, Tom Jones. Um, <laughs> these these guys, you know, these are such legends that yeah. I think many of these young people today don't even know who some of these people are. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, Ernest Borgnine, who's that? You know, but for me, it's like Ernest Borgnine was was amazing as an artist and what he did and you know he did this film called marty and just blew me away and then he oh. got his fame though from a show called mikhail's navy and it was television black and white television in the 60s that put that guy on the map but he had worked with um 
I'm trying to remember the name of the author. Uh, it was back in the 40s when they filmed this, and it was just extraordinary what he had done, and I had performed it in my acting class on stage when I was training as an actress, you know, right. and just, it was dramatic. It wasn't, definitely wasn't voiceover, but uh, it meant everything in the world. When he walked in the room, I was like, Marty! <laughs> totally humiliated myself by saying that, but he got that I was a fan, and he was so gracious and just yeah. really, really kind, and just played himself. He doesn't do voiceovers. And um, Meryl Streep, that's another really fun story. And of course, I mean, what she does, every part that she does, I think the public at this point in time with all the nominations and awards she's gotten, <laughs> and she's she's just reinvented herself decade after decade, Yeah, you know, that she's still doing it. And she just kills it every single time. And I was so curious, what is she going to do yeah. with this little character that was uh, Reverend Lovejoy's um, daughter, Jessica Lovejoy? And she's right. a bad girl. She's one of these bad girls and whose dad is, you know, is, is this pastor so or a reverend and it was really fun working with her and she couldn't come in when we were all together so it was a separate record and I got to go play with her and this really was not her area like working yeah. just behind the microphone although she somewhat familiar with it because she would have to do that for all the films that she did and match her own voice to right. you know if the sound was was bad yeah. um but in terms of cartoons she'd never done any animation before and her kids were young and were huge fans of the show so i'm sure that that probably inspired her to want to be on the simpsons but when i met her you know i shook her hand and she was like oh hi <laughs> she was just such a fangirl it was so really? it was it was yeah it was so not what i expected yeah she was wearing like a a you know a simple dress and she looked like she could do a commercial for i don't know for Neutrogena or cover girl right. like very natural and espadrille sandals and just very clean looking and so we start to do this record and I helped her she was you know just took a little care and seeing that she didn't really know that you have if you take the the brads out instead of opening it up like a book and turning the pages you don't want to do that because the microphones even these if I'm to go in just a little bit closer, you can see how sensitive these microphones. I'm whispering, actually, because yeah. I know I'll just kill your ear if I talk <laughs> right. Now I back off a little bit. If you're wearing a leather jacket, that will never cut it. Yeah, You can't wear crunchy clothes when you're doing voiceovers. Yeah, I think that should be a bumper sticker. That's quite a long bumper sticker. That, that, it's kind of long, but it, it would make the point. Yeah. You don't want to wear crunchy clothes or like dangly, like bracelets yeah. or earrings. earrings Men, yeah. women, you don't want to wear dangly stuff. So she didn't have any problem in that area, but it's like changing, turning the page. I said, here, let's set it up like this and let, lay it out, lay your script out like this so you don't have to turn the... Oh, thank you so, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. So then we started and both of us are facing the director and um, I stopped the record. I said, you know, I kind of liked it. Let's, I want to talk to, I want to talk to Meryl. Can, would you mind, can we turn this thing? Because when she would talk to me, she would literally turn her head, which would turn her off mic. Now I'm on mic right now and you can tell that I'm on mic, but if I'm going to talk to the person that's next to me and we're both facing the same way so we could see the director, yeah. you follow me? Yeah. So if I were to turn my voice to, to talk to this other actor, I would turn my voice and you see what happens with the sound? Yeah. Did it go down? Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, now I'm back on mic. Now I'm off mic. Now I'm on mic. Now I'm off mic. So I hear it in my head headset. So you get the idea. It just wasn't going to work. Yeah. So I said, Hey, do you mind? I want to look at Meryl when I talk. Let's, can we, let's just take a second and set up the mics differently. Yeah. So they turned it, faced each other. She's looking at me, gives me a thumbs up, and then we proceeded to <laughs> to do the record. And then I'm telling you, we do four takes. Normally, we would do four takes per scene because it gives the you know gives them enough to to do the edit. And usually on the fourth take, I do whatever I want. I don't necessarily say what's written. I will do an ad lib, something that I think is better. Like instead of um, recently, uh, they had Bart saying, "Oh my God," and I. Didn't, I didn't want to say, I know, I, listen, I know it's 2019, but the truth <laughs> is he's 10. Yeah. He's 10 years old and Marge, Marge is a good mom. There's no way she would let her kid say that. Yeah. So I will give them, oh my God, for three takes. And then I'm going to say, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I will say that yeah. because I just think it's the right thing to do. And especially even even Lisa Simpson, I don't even want her saying, oh, my God, I just think it's wrong. But that's personal. But I don't have any say good. I, I got to give them my opinion. There you go. And it's not up to me for the final edit. That's going to be Al Jean, yeah. who's the showrunner. He's so genius. That guy is so, so smart. He puts the I gene am not in kidding. genius. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to get some tacky pun in there. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. Jamie, I am so stealing that. I, <laughs> I just, I admire this guy. He does yeah. so much for, he's been the longest running show runner in the history of television, I swear. Yeah. He's been doing it probably 20, I think, Close, probably 15 to 20 years he's yeah. been doing it. He is amazing. And he's, yeah, I can go on and on about him. Such a kind demeanor. He's gracious with everyone and he gets the job done. He's yeah. extraordinary. He's, he's the show, kind of showrunner that any show would appreciate having him on. Mm, he, yeah. He's that good. So you have now written a Simpsons episode, which is very <gasps> exciting. So why don't you I know. tell us about that? I know. I This is like, it's my first writing credit on the show. Yeah. And I don't know, when I go back uh, to the beginning, I never thought I would ever, I was never inspired to write a Simpsons show. I thought, you know, that's not my job. I do voiceover work. But as time went on, um, I, I was gaining confidence. I was doing other things. You know, I had created this... Uh, I had done this film. Uh, I wrote a film a couple yeah. couple years ago, but that was man, that took me forever to write. That was in development is uh, in search of Fellini. Yeah, uh, shameless self plugging, but you can get it on Netflix <laughs> <laughs> if you buy it. If you buy it on Amazon, you can actually get the behind the scenes and get all the like how that happened and stuff. If you're if you're into listening to commentary, which I love commentary. Yeah. But anyway, I co wrote that, and it's a true life experience when I when I was before I was cast as Bart Simpson, how I went off to Italy to actually find the late, great Italian director, Federico Fellini. Mm. And I had this amazing, it was more than an adventure. It was an odyssey. And I ate, I drank, I fell in love. I almost got raped. I got, I felt, it was just crazy. And when I came back, I all I was trying to do was get the rights to La Strada. 
which is yeah. a film that Fellini did. And I yeah. came back and I realized, oh my gosh, my story is so much better. <laughs> but I, I digress a little. If we, we want to come back to that, we can come back to it. But the point is, I worked on that for like 20 years. I did it. It oh, was wow. a long, long procedure because I never realized and never, I was doing it as a one-woman show. Mm. My intention was never to do it as a film until... I kept telling the story over and over again, and I, I did it as a one-woman show, and it got great reviews, and then the the seed, just the seed was planted that this could be a movie, yeah. but that was in 1995, and I'm like, <laughs> wow, I don't... I, I don't, how am I going to sh- shoot a film in Italy? That's ridiculous. I don't, I, that's not what I do. But as, t- as the Simpsons continued to get renewed and I started having other, I started having other goals come into my reality that yeah. it actually, at some point I had the power and the connections to be able to cast it. And so I, completed writing it and we got another um, production company involved and uh, an Italian production company then came on board and we made that dream come true. But um, so now I realize when, after I finished in search of Fellini, I thought, wow, Dan, Dan has been doing, he he at at that point in time, he'd probably done four Simpsons episode. So, and I thought, wow, I think I better do, I think I should do a Simpsons episode. I mean, I did this, but this is a different format. I mean, the difference between long form, you know, a feature film and doing a three act thing, it's a totally different, you know, a different animal, so to speak. But, you know, I just, I'd been doing it for a number of years and I had 20 other writers backing me up. (laughs) You know, I I just, you know, so I, I presented it, I pitched the idea, they loved it. And next thing you know, I'm I'm going into the writer's room and working with these writers. And believe me, I shocked myself. <laughs> and the fact that I'm the only, I'm trying to think at that time, uh, Carolyn Omini is, uh, well, with, there, there are other writers on the show like Stephanie Gillis and Carolyn Omini, Debla Custa, who is Dan's wife, and yep. Megan Amron. Megan and, and Carolyn oh, are the knows. only um, staff writers. Uh, Stephanie and Deb just they'll they'll present a script every now and then. I don't know how many they do a year, but they they're kind of do you know what I mean? They're not staff writers. Yeah, they're kind of like me, but maybe they they do it more than me. Right. I just did this one. I wanted to see how it would go, and it has been amazing because I've gotten to actually be there and get the support of these writers and see how they do it, and they I'm just. St- Stunned by the process. Yeah. I am completely like, wow, I had no idea. And all of these guys contributed to making that you will see on March 30, 31st. It'll air on television. You'll be able to see it. But just know that I am like a gymnast. <laughs> and I've got all these spotters that are <laughs> quietly beside me, you know, pushing this thing through. And it's pretty funny. It's it's it, and I just got to do some of the sound effects and I'm going to go in this Friday and work on the um, music mixing, which is oh, a whole great. nother aspect that's going to yeah. be so fun. It's just I love it. I just love what I do. It's it's just so fun. And it sounds like um, pretty much your whole idea was carried through to the episode the writers just sort of massaged it a little bit and added a few things took a few things out how how much changed Um, from the original idea would you say uh there was there was pretty there was some significant changes Mm. but the seed of what it is is lisa lisa is scouted by the um 
Capital City Philharmonic, and her band teacher uh, doesn't like that. He he really right. doesn't like it. And Homer works. He he's got to go out. The whole it, it just disrupts the entire family. Yeah. And I'll tell you, my original pitch was based on. Um, that I had mentioned about me doing these competitions when nice. I was in high school. Yeah. Um, I was in the band, and but but this this wasn't from a band experience. This was from a, a voice experience, and I took something that was very real to me. Is that I would do these competitions, and I did really well. I just kept winning and winning and winning. Yeah, and um, eventually it there was kind of like um, a taking it for granted kind of a, a, a thing where I, right. it was expected I was going to win. And I realized I wasn't getting the kicks out of it, you know, sharing that I want, got first place. My family was, oh, congratulations. And I ended up, uh, I, I, I came home and I took my trophy and I put it in my suitcase and I came home and I said, I, I, I said, I didn't win. And they're like, what? I said, yeah, I didn't win. <laughs> I went, surprise, just kidding. And then I pulled out the trophy and that was really, really funny. But this, the script that I ended up, that we ended up doing was Lisa Simpson. She's, she's really good. And she, she knocks this kid out of first place. I don't want to give the whole thing away, but my, I think at the point I'm trying to make is that my, a real life experience of mine, I took that and developed it into a Lisa show. Yeah. And the the writers came back and it just started to evolve and it got into this whole thing about her and how it disrupted the entire family and it's just i i love it yeah i've come to love it and jk simmons is in it yeah and he's oh my god he's so funny (laughs) he does the whole thing like in whiplash you know how he would he would take his hand and cut them by like whipping his hand around and grabbing grabbing the air they animate it just like that the animation is beautiful i was wondering if that's the direction they were going in with him they do it's so good it's just so just so badass man it's so good were you at all tempted to make bart the protagonist or did we like well it's a little too on the nose for me to do that with my own character or no but he has his own he has his own thing that he's doing right. he has his own thing he's got his own game because he's bart she's lisa he he just notices there's something about these other kids that are not first chair you'll have you'll when you see the show you'll you'll understand what i'm talking about sure. but i got a, I got a couple things in there that i that that i they made signage and you know simpsons the animators are so great at it and sometimes the writers do it and i think sometimes the animators do it but there was the sign it was called they originally called it the fritz freeling music hall i said let's just change that to the dawes butler <laughs> Dawes butler concert hall little little tip of the hat to my buddy Dawes butler yeah oh i love that you, but you'll miss it. You you only have two seconds to see it, and if you don't see it right away, you have to you have to rerun it. But um, so there, it, it's just I. The main thing is that I was so impressed uh, with the um, the procedure, how they go about yep. that. It takes you know we are so privileged that we have twenty writers on our show, and most shows I don't know they may have five or six, maybe eight at the most. Right, but we have twenty. Yeah. And it's just shocking to me. And each one of them, somebody's good at doing references. Another one is good at music. Another one is good at punching it up. Another one is good at like doing Krusty the Clown type things. Another one is good with working with like, you know, Mr. Largo. He's the, mu- he's the uh, music instructor. Maybe yeah. he's good at doing specifically things about him. And he knows more about 
music. So that guy excels in that area. It's just like these writers are just, uh, every one of them contributes to every single script, but the name that you see is the person that that uh, generated the original concept. Right. So I just feel lucky that I got to be like one of seven. I think it's like seven women, you know, that have um, seven out of the 19 um, episodes have women writers credited, you know? So I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And it's really interesting to hear from about that process from our perspective as well. Um, We're not usually privy to that. Um, yeah. Now I know we've got to wrap things up because uh, we're, I know your time is precious, of course. So, uh, but I do want to get a couple of quick more questions in. One yeah. of them is from one of our Patreon members, uh, Ken Foster. He says, "What do you do to keep the Bartness after all these years, maintaining fresh interest, but also keeping Bart's voice consistently forever nine years old?" <laughs> well, first of all, Ken, he's 10. Not to make you feel bad, but I am 10 years old, forever 10. <laughs> I'm 10. Okay. Um no 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 problem there though, but yeah, you know, it's like if if you listen to the show and now cuz we've got 30 years behind us, if you go back to the very beginning, Bart, I sort of did it like uh I would say uh Mom, it's not dinner time. We're not going to eat right now. Lisa, stop it. Da, da, da. And the yeah. placement of Bart is kind of down here. Yeah. It was sort of like his voice was down here. As time has gone by, it's evolved. And now Bart is like this. Yeah. He's kind of up here. You've got to be kidding. No way, man. Oh, come on, Milhouse. Oh, God, so lame, Milhouse. <laughs> he's, he's pitched a little bit higher because, honestly, that placement of my voice it evolved into something that was more comfortable for me. It's more right. natural. I can go like this much easier than it is to go like that. Yeah. But it w- it took time to find that. It was an evolution. Mm-hmm. The, you can really see the difference when you listen to Homer Simpson. Yeah. He's really evolved. Um, yeah. But that's the deal is that uh, I don't, after doing it all these years now, I just, and to keep the Bartness of it, uh, they write him like he's a 10-year-old boy. And yeah. again, if I feel like Bart wouldn't say something, I would I would bring it up. Yeah, I would mention it. For my own integrity, I would bring it up. And whether or not, it's almost every single time I venture to say, they do change it. They do listen to what I say mm-hmm. and to what, are the, what the other actors say because, I mean, I'm living that character. I got yeah, him in my it. back pocket, you know. Yeah. So um, that's how I handle that. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's fantastic. Okay, now the final thing. I, it seems to me, and it struck me a couple of times as we've been speaking, that the importance of being a decent person and when you've had some success, paying it forward or paying it back, whatever that expression is, um, yeah. how important is that to maintaining a long career and a successful career and you know, maintaining your sanity as a human yeah. being, would you say? Yeah. You know what? I think... Wow, that's a really good question. Um, as far as paying it forward goes and um, being successful in the industry, I'm not sure that that is one of the criteria. Mm-hmm. I just know that for myself, I, as a person, not as an actress or as an artist, but as a person, this is what I I feel like my it is one of my purposes in life right. is that I like to set a great example and I want others to have the same kinds of success that I have. So by doing podcasts and doing interviews for variety or, or whatever magazine, um, 
whatever I can say that would hopefully inspire others who are seeking to make their dreams come true, whatever I can do in that direction, it I don't know who benefits more, me or them. I love doing that. Yeah. I like creating that kind of an effect. And it gives me um it inspires me to know that somebody that I help somebody, you know. Yeah. That's what we're here for. I think that's just that's life. You know, why what good are you unless you can help? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's perfect. That's come full circle to starting from the beginning, <laughs> which is where we started. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, awesome. So, Nancy, thank you so much. That was such a really fascinating insight. And I'm sure so many people listening to this are going to get a huge amount out of that. So I really appreciate your time. Jamie, I just want to say this has been a pleasure. This went by so quickly. I and <laughs> I had so much fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you to this week's guests. Thanks also to JMC Demos and IPDTL who sponsor the show. Thanks to Backstage Magazine and a special shout out to Patreon super member Angus McLeod. We'll see you again next time.